Three famous guys going incognito on a mission to bring you the most compelling stories. Rags to riches, paranormal activity, comedy, drama, murder, sadness and trauma. It's all right here. This is Three Famous Guys, the podcast where no topic is off limits. And now your hosts, the international men of mystery, Gus, Jim, and Mark. All right. Well, welcome to Three Famous Guys podcast. My name is Gus, and with me is uh, Jim, Mark, and Nicole is our special host today as well. And I'm down here by Dallas, Texas, and uh, you guys are all up in cold weather. And just so you know, it's uh, 80 degrees here today. Great. So. Yeah. <laughs> We're getting a storm here. So, yeah, that's great. I feel hey, sorry for you, Gus, that you're not on your motorcycle. Yeah, well, that's that's probably be later this afternoon. I'll be on the motorcycles. Uh, but anyway, we have a great show today. Uh, we have a great guest, so uh, you're going to definitely want to uh, share this with all your friends. But uh, the chances are that no matter how young or old you are, you've probably heard this guest. He's been in such films as Grease 1, Grease 2, 1941, War Games. Our guest is a talented actor specializing in playing those memorable characters who make us laugh and love the nerd. Our younger listeners, you may be familiar with his voice from recent uh, films and television shows where he supplied his very distinctive voice talents to the know-it-all character in the Polar Express, the sequel in the SpongeBob movie Sponge Out of Water, Mandark in Cartoons Network's Dexter's Laboratory, and Ned in Kim Possible. His list of film and voice contributions is extensive. To list more of them, our guest has appeared in additional films such as Midnight Madness, I Want to Hold Your Hand, Surf 2, Mob Boss, Beverly Hills Vamp, Teenage Exorcist, Funky Brewster, The Whippy Boys, Million Dollar Mystery, Critters 2, and a whole lot more. Less known but certainly noteworthy, our guest has contributed his passion for pop culture trivia, in particular a focus on the Beatles. In addition to his knowledge of the Beatles, our guest writes contributions on such subjects as baseball, American history, classic comedy acts like the Three Stooges and the Marx Brothers. His start and show business started on the episode of The Gong Show in the mid-1970s, and he was gonged off the stage by none other than singer-songwriter Paul Williams. As soon as he starts to speak, Everybody is going to know who he is. One thing I like to start with is a happy bladed birthday. He was born March 6th, just celebrated another trip around the sun. And now I would like to welcome to our show the poster child of persistence, the epitome of energy, and the master of laughter, Eddie Deason. Hello, thank you. What a beautiful introduction. Thank you so much. I could listen to you forever. Thank you. All right. Well, hey, I listened to an introduction that Gilbert Godfrey did on you, and I couldn't match that. Yeah, that was for this thing. I've done, you know, hundreds and not hundreds, but scores of, uh, podcast and interviews that was still my favorite podcast gilbert was wonderful that was the best podcast i ever did yeah we just listened to that well i did the other day so yeah, yeah so did i yeah I did, guy. I did too and that that intro that he had was just i didn't know how we were gonna even compare to that but you did pretty good no yes. yours was pretty good that was that was very good i'm humbled I, I mean i really appreciate you very kind well i'll have to i'll have to give a uh kudos to my wife because she wrote that for me last night she's a west point grad and she's uh she's always telling me how much smarter she is than me so uh she's my people for writing things well tell her she forgot a salt of the killer bimbos (laughs) so i'm very offended i'm very hurt i'm just kidding that was a beautiful man that was thank you so much that was very kind to you you're welcome hey and i want to uh thank you very much for being on the show i want to thank your manager as well he's been awesome to work with uh but eddie i want to uh, you know you, you you've been in a lot of things and and of course you know as i watched greece one and two and watched polar express never in my life did i think i'd actually be talking to to you yeah well i've been in a lot of things mostly hot water 
<laughs> yeah, well, we have something in common. Yeah. Well, you you don't get to sixty six without baggage, right? Yeah, true. You're right. You're right. I can't believe I'm here. When we did Greece, I was twenty years old, and Stockard Channing. You know, none of the Rydell kids, none of the Rydell kids were actually teenagers. I was the youngest one who spoke. I was 20, and I remember Soccer Channing was the oldest of us. She was 33 years old, and I look at her, I go, look at that old bat, I thought. I go, do people actually get that old? And she was like an old lady to me. You know, when you're 20, a 33-year-old is like an old, you know, she was an old crone to me. Now she's 79, I'm 66. Wow. So out of curiosity, when you did that movie Grease, so this Grease was not your, well, it was the first movie you actually did, but it's not the first one released, correct? Yes, sir. It was the first one. And here's the order. I did This is the, I did them. I acted in Grease was the first movie I did. The second was Laser Blast. The third was I Want to Hold Your Hand. But they were released. Laser Blast was released first. Then I Want to Hold Your Hand. Then Grease. So it gets a little confusing. But Grease was definitely the first one I worked on. Gotcha. So I started at the top. But, you know, most people, almost everybody starts out in a B movie. You know, I think Clint Eastwood did the blob or something you know almost everybody starts out in a turkey but i got to start out in a classic movie it's very rare so i really lucked out i actually had to watch war games the other night i had to rent it um it, it wasn't it wasn't free in any free uh, streaming service so the one thing i couldn't remember and i've watched that movie several times is you know where was he at in war games so i had to rent the movies you cost me four bucks yeah okay I was in, with War Games, I did, uh, my director was Marty Bress, the guy who later did Beverly Hills Cop. He did, he did, he worked 12 days on the film, including my scene with Maury, Maury Chaikin, who I love, who sadly passed away a few years ago. But we did that, and then the studio didn't like Marty's dailies, and they fired him, and John Batham was hired. But I never worked for John Batham. People will say, what was it like to work with John Batham? I never worked for John Batham. Now, John Batham saw all the dailies of those 12 days. He only kept one scene in the film, and luckily that was my scene. So my scene's intact, but it's the only scene not directed by John Batham. And here's the greatest story ever about war games. This is a true story, I swear to God. Ronald Reagan screened the film in the White House. After he saw it, he changed the security system of the United States. He was afraid somebody would tap into our security system, and he actually changed it because of war games. Wow. That's a true story. Wow. I'm making that up. You can't make this stuff up. That's great trivia. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Matthew is a lovely guy. I worked with Matthew. I worked only one day. I, I was driven in with Matthew. Matthew, this was Matthew Broberg's first film. And I was driven in with him. And I remember he was talking. We talked. I was in the front seat. He was in the back. And he was talking about his father who had just passed away, James Broderick. And I looked back and this sweet kid, he had tears in his eyes. You know, he really loved his dad. And as he reminisced, he had tears in his eyes. I'll never forget him. You know, he was, he was a beautiful guy. Great guy. Wow, so that was a difficult time while he was doing that movie then. The only other time I saw that in an actor's, I was at a, a baseball game. I'm really name-dropping here. I'm not trying to, but no, I was at a okay. baseball game with Tom Hanks, and he was talking about John Candy, and I looked over at him, and he had tears over, tears in his eyes like he was going to cry. Like, John Candy obviously had a profound effect on him. He deeply loved John Candy, you could tell. So, so out of curiosity, um, I'll go back to Greece just a little bit. I, I mean, I like everything about the show, and I liked all the actors. And, of course, John Travolta definitely was a surprise to me in that movie because I was watching on Welcome Back, Cotter, mm -hmm. yeah. you know, and stuff like that. So I'm like, wow, he can actually yeah. sing and, and all that. So, I used to watch it. Who would have known? I was I was watching Welcome Back, Cotter. It was one of my favorite shows. And who would have known I would be working with the guy, you know, right after that? It, it's kind of wow. surreal real but i love welcome back cotter yeah it was a great show until when john left of course he jumped the shark but out of all of them i i would have to say olivia newton john was probably my favorite of all characters is it, well not just characters but as far as uh, a person i mean I, I i was in the navy so i was on a carrier 
And uh, all, all those lonely months out at sea, I'd go to the library and check out you. Olivia Newton-John cassette tapes. That's how old I am. And I'd sit there and listen to all her songs. And yes. She was an angel. She was truly lovely. We were on the Paramount lot one day. I was reading about this on my Facebook page about a week ago. We were on the Paramount lot one day. It was me, Olivia, and two other guys in the crew. We were just walking around, you know, and then we saw this abandoned car. So for a goof, it was just a lark. We took the car and we hijacked it. Somebody left the keys in it, so we goofed it and took the car. We took a joyride on the Paramount <laughs> lot. We were all laughing, you know. We were these young kids, you know. It was just a lark. We stopped. Olivia turned around. She was in the, the passenger seat in the front. I was in the passenger seat in the back. She turned around to me. She goes, you're funny. And I go, you're, thank you. That was the only time I talked to Olivia Newton-John during the whole shoot. Anyway, that's the story I've been given for 45 years. I was telling my manager that story. And he goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. Was that a red convertible you hijacked? Oh, yeah, it was a red convertible. He goes, that was the car. The car, that was the car. That's the car John and Olivia drive off at the end of the film. That's how we got that car. Oh, In other nice. words, they had the keys. Awesome. Yeah, I thought it was just some car we hijacked. I never put two and two together. That was the car that was used in the film at the end, that iconic shot at the end where they fly off into the sky. So we were in that car, yeah. That's cool. We might have to do a yeah. search on that to see who owns that now. Yeah, I wonder. I had heard a rumor that it's John's car, but, you know, I don't know if that's true. Oh, wow. He has a lot. Yeah. So, so Eddie. Um, yeah. What What led up to your audition and uh, acting in Greece? You know, what what how did what did you do to get there? I had a, a very uh, an agent. Her name was uh, Regina. She was not that nice of a person, but she did get me that audition. So I owe her everything. But um, besides that, she got me the audition. I went in. I put on a Pee Wee Herman suit. I put on like this ice cream suit with a bow tie. Now, the only thing is I, this nerds don't do this. This is what the, the T-birds, the cool guys do. I grease my hair up with Vitalis, you know, greasy kid stuff. I put it in, my hair was real greasy. For some reason, I thought that would work. But of course, nerds don't do that. I didn't know that at the time. But I did that. I went into the audition. Everybody else was like either like Fonzie in a leather jacket. It was a big cattle call. They were the Fonzie types in leather jackets, or they were girls, you know, in long skirts, poodle skirts, you know, and um, saddle shoes, you know, bobby socks and saddle shoes. Everybody else knew, but I was the only nerd there. So they called me in. It was me and three guys. It was Alan Carr, our producer, Randall Kleiser, our director, and Mr. Joel Thurm, our casting director. So I, you know, Eugene has is a small part. I had like four lines. So I read my lines, you know, uh, uh, my name's Eugene or whatever. I said my lines, and I noticed why I was reading my lines. They were nudging each other. I could see, and they kept nudging each other. And then I read them again, they were nudging each other. So I thought it did good the way they were nudging each other. Anyway, I get the call to my agent. My agent gets the call a day or two later. You know, we want Eddie for the film. He's hired. He's getting the role of Eugene. So, of course, I'm over the moon. You know, I call my parents and my family. I call my friends. I'm, I'm going to be in this film with John Travolta. It's called Grease. Da -da -da, you know, I was bragging to everybody. I was so happy. A couple of days later, we get my agent gets a call from Paramount. The role of Eugene is very small. We're going to cut it out of the movie. Sorry, we don't need Eddie anymore. So, sorry, but he's gone. So, you know, of course, I'm going to jump off a hill. You know, I want to jump off a cliff. That was the worst right. news. So, my agent yeah. told me that. Yeah, I, you know, I couldn't have felt worse. She goes, tell you what, we're going to go to church and pray. Oh, please. You know, I'm Jewish. I've never been in a church in my life. There's a church in LA. It's still there. It's called Our Mother of Good Counsel. It's on, um, oh God, I can't think of the street. It's before I But anyway, it's in Hollywood. It's on a street there. It's still there. It's called Our Mother of Good Counsel. We went into the church. She goes, we're going to light candles at an altar. You're kidding. Yeah, I work in LA. So I've never done anything remotely like this. So we both literally lit the candles <laughs> and we prayed. So I swear to God, this is true. Now, if you're a religious person, it's a, this is a very religious story. If you're an atheist, you go, you just lucked out. It's a total coincidence. But I swear to God, we lit the candles and prayed. And then like a day or two later, Paramount called back. They say, we're putting Eugene back in the film. We want Eddie back. He's hired for the movie. 
So that's a true story. That's how I got Greece. And again, if, if you're a religious, if you're a believer, you know, it's a very deep story. That otherwise, could you, you know, if you're an atheist, it, 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 it's a coincidence that I lucked out. So we lost Nicole for a little while, but Nicole's back. Are you, can you hear us, Nicole? Yeah. Okay. Got back on. Excellent. Okay. So we've been talking. I think we've talked about everything there is to talk about with Eddie. So I don't know. Nicole, what do you got? You can edit this one out, by the way. This is, I'm just going to give you a new story. I'm going to give you a new story I've never told on any podcast before. You can cut it out right here and tell me not to tell it if you want. But okay. it just occurred to my mind okay. about church uh, food thing. I, can I, she want me to tell a story about uh, the time a gay guy fell in love with me? Sure. It's not grotesque sure. or anything, but it's just a true story. It's not gnarly. <laughs> I was at a church pancake thing. And I love these pancake dinners at church, so I went to a pancake dinner. So I'm sitting by this guy, and his name was Eddie, too. He goes, are you Eddie Deason? I go, yeah. He goes, Eddie Deason, the actor? Yeah. And he goes, my name's Eddie, too. Da, da, da. He goes, you you always take the bus, don't you? Yeah, how'd you know? He goes, well, you know, I've seen you around. He goes, do you need a driver? So I go, okay, sure. So he would drive me around town and all. Finally, he admitted to me he was gay, you know, and he, I could tell, obviously, he had a crush on me. So he'd drive me around the place and all. he'd take me in my agent's office and all that stuff and all. We'd go to feed the birds together. Now, he would go to his bank and get money for me. He liked to give me money. He'd go to his verse to tell her, I swear to God, if it's true, his ATM, and he'd get like wow. 20 or 40 dollars and he'd give it to me. And I, Eddie, I can't take this. He goes, no, please. And I, I finally, I had to put it, you know, he did it several times. I go, Eddie, I can't take your money anymore. And he was really sad. He was pouting. I go, look, does it make you unhappy? He goes, yeah, I like giving you money. He was unhappy that he couldn't give me money. So it, it was getting stranger and stranger, you know? So anyway, he drives me around to my agent's office, and then finally he was taken. He took my, my mom came out to visit me, and he would drive us around. I introduced her, you know. Now my brother is gay. I'm the straightest kind of world, but my brother is gay. He would have been good match for my brother, ironically. But he's taken me and my mom around. Then finally he drives us to the airport, drops us off. So finally we went to Las Vegas, mom and I. Then I get back home, and he was kind of sad. He's there at the airport, and he picks me up. I go, "What's the matter, Eddie?" He goes, "I was sad you didn't hug me when I when you laughed." Then I realized, okay, this is oh, getting no. too weird. This has gone too far. <laughs> and I said a polite goodbye, and he was gone. He, you know, we we parted as good friends. But that's the only time that I know of that a gay guy was in love with me. It's kind of weird. Not weird, you know. To him, it was important, you know. You know, yeah, none of us can choose who we're in love with, you know, but he happened to be in love with me. It was an interesting chapter mode. I wish more girls I liked have been in love with me. I've fallen in so many <laughs> unrequited affairs with so many girls I've loved and rejected, and then I get this guy. But he, he was a nice guy. Wherever Eddie is, I say hi to him. This is the first time I ever talked about this in public. That's a true story. That would have been a great Seinfeld episode. Yeah. That yeah. Well, now that you're yeah. talking, Eddie... Now we got, you know, a little loose lips, but we want to know what's going sure. on in Hollywood. If you can give us some dirt, you know, on <laughs> <laughs> what's going on. Well, I'm in, I'm in South Carolina. You know, I've been in and out of hospitals for the past two or three years. I had bad heart trouble and I had a stroke. So I've been in and out of a hospital. And then Stevie, my manager, you guys know, is I'm living with him and his wife right now. So I haven't been to Hollywood in like, uh, it's been a while. I was in Maryland for a while. So I haven't been to Hollywood in quite a while. I, I lived there for 41 years, you know. Had lots of fun. I had a million good laughs out there and millions of good friends. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping to get back after this. Right now, I'm uh, I was in the uh, the hospital, you know, and I'm released. So I have to stay here for 18 months, and then after that, Stevie and I are hoping we can get back to Hollywood because I'd love to get back into film. Right? Do you have anything? Oh, uh, yeah. You have anything going on right now? Any prospects of, of Stevie anything? Stevie is such up? a good manager. He's working on a couple things for me. I can't bring them up because I'd rather do it if they're finalized because I don't want to bring them up and then they never don't materialize. Sure. But he's working on a couple projects, and I hope they come to pass. They won't be Greece, you know, but they'll be filmed. So I want to get back on film. I want to get back to a little bit about uh, Greece, John Travolta. So sure. what was it like working with John Travolta? Oh my God. He was a prince, a total mensch. Uh, he would always call me my buddy. He'd say, hi, buddy. 
always buddy. Hey, buddy, we did, you know, my first scene in Greece, I'm walking down the stairs, you know, the T-Birds mess around with me, mess me up. Right. And after every take, he'd go, you all right, buddy? You okay, buddy? So I walk down the stairs, action. I walk down the stairs, they mess me up. Cut. And so, you okay, buddy? You all right? Okay. Take two. We walk down, they mess up my hair. Cut. You okay, buddy? He did, we know we did three or four takes. Every time he made sure I was okay. You all right, buddy? My favorite Travolta, my favorite Travolta story was on the set one day, okay, John is like the biggest star. When we did Grease, John was unimaginably big, okay? He was like a combination of James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, and Marlon Brando. He was a huge star. You can't imagine how big he was, but we, we did, it was the carnival scene. One, it, the carnival scene was like a big football field, you know? And John's mm -hmm. over there and he's, you know, yeah. surrounded by the press cheerleaders were around him and the cast and crew they're all talking to john but anyway i come on the set i was all alone nobody cared about me. i had a little ice cream cone i was licking my ice cream cone i'm all alone so john somehow spotted me he jogged like 10 or 20 yards over to me he goes how are you buddy he shook my hand and he talked to me i mean that's the kind of guy he was somehow he spotted this lonely kid and he, he left these hundred people and jogged around and greeted me and said how are you buddy and we kibitz the little you know and that was john travolta Anyway, the last time I, people always go, did you see John Travolta after Greece? The last time I saw him was the year 2001. We had the same doctor. You know, we made small talk. Hi, Eddie, da, da, da. what have you been up to? Da, and we talked back and forth. And the last thing we said was, I remember this verbatim. I go, you know, you bring something beautiful into the world. And he goes, so do you. That was the last thing we ever said to each other. That was the last time I saw John. Yeah. Very cool. That's a great memory. Yeah, beautiful guy. He's a beautiful guy. I used to live out there. Not probably, I, I lived in Burbank and worked on in Hollywood, uh -huh. like a block away from Capitol Records. And the people that are in Hollywood are so different. It's, it, it's so hard to explain, like, the yeah. difference. I'm, I'm sure you have a little bit of a cultural shock going to Absolutely. Yeah. In the North Carolina, right? We're in South Carolina. South Carolina, I apologize. We have the difference here we see is that in Hollywood, everybody's blase because they've seen everybody, you know. So I go to Hollywood, you know, George Clooney's there, John Voight, you know, everybody, you know what I mean? Henry Winkler, they're all out there. But here, Stevie will come and they'll go, have you ever seen Grease? And you know, everybody will go, yeah. Or have you ever seen Polar Express? Yeah. And they go, this guy's in it. And they'll freak out. You know, everybody freaks out at me here. Everybody gets excited because that's how it's different from Hollywood here. And the people are just so sweet and wonderful, you know, and they'll all want to take a picture, you know, and I happily want to meet them and get their picture. But you know, that didn't happen in Hollywood very rarely, right. once well, in a while. Well, you are in the South where people tend to be really friendly for the most part. Oh, they're so nice. Yeah. And the other thing I've noticed is the restaurants are great. So much good food out here. Right. I found, I found my beloved Booby's picture. Pickles. I had my favorite pickles in the world. I'm Jewish. My favorite kosher dough pickles are called Bubby's Pickles, B-U-B-B-I-E-S. And I thought that was only Hollywood. I was going to actually order them off Amazon. But a couple of days ago, I found them out here. So that was my mission. And I, I'm eating them, you know, with my locks and bagels out here. Are you near the beach? Uh, I don't know. You'd have to ask Stevie. I don't know about that. We haven't been there, but I don't know. <laughs> you haven't mentioned too far. Well, I guess being in the hospital and all that, like, so that's been rough, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, I was I was eight months. It was an all male hospital. Okay, I've been eight months in an all male hospital. Get it? So in other words, like uh, you know, in other, what I'm saying is like uh, uh, Barbara Bush looks hot to me. You know, something like that. <laughs> I, 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 any kind of woman. <laughs> Nicole getting no off on your voice, you know, it's like anything. Yeah. So that was lonely. I have a lot of hospital stories. I don't know if you want to get into those. No. It, it was a rough stay. Yeah. It was very very rough there. No. This was a, this hospital was out of the middle ages, out of the dark ages. It was really, really brutal. 
one of the tough, it got it unequivocally, the toughest time of my life was lasting eight months there, but my sister helped get me through with my friends, but cool. man, it was rough. Well, as long as you're getting healthy the again. Food, that, the food wasn't that, fit know. for dogs. The food, they paid us Alpo. That food was not fit for dogs. So let me ask yeah. you this, Tom Hanks. Oh my God, don't get me started. <laughs> oh, get this started. guy, if there's one guy as nice as John Travolta, it was Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks was the nicest guy in the world. On the first day on the set, okay, this is the first day on the Polar Express. I didn't know he was in, I swear to God, they had for this movie, The Polar Express. So then Bob Zemeckis is there. I knew Bob because I did his first film, I Want to Hold Your Hand, back in 78. This was the first film Steven Spielberg ever produced. But anyway, Bob shows me a little bit of the film. We did a new process called motion capture, and he showed me the film, and I thought, that guy looks like Tom Hanks. He said, and it was Hanks. For some reason, I got the deal. My agent just signed me up, and nobody told me Tom Hanks was in it. So on the first day in the set, we're all here. Tom Hanks comes bouncing in, you know, as he does. He's like this kid. He's a perpetual kid. He comes bouncing in. He singles me out from everybody. Hi, Eddie. I'm Tom. No shit, Sherlock. You know, he shakes my hand. <laughs> no, Tom. Hi, Eddie. I'm Tom. He says it. He was just so nice to me all through the shoot. We we got the chat together. Every day we get to talk together, ask him every question. And he couldn't have been nicer. He just was a, a, a super nice guy. He told me he'd seen Greece. And he loved the scene where they, we were just talking about it. He said he loved the scene. He, goes, he was like a little kid. He goes, I like that word. John and Liv go flying off into the sky at the end. He said, he's talking about, and he said how much he liked that. I want to hold your hand, the effects the Mexican used. Um, he just was such a kind man. And I could yes. ask him any questions in the day. Yeah. He was just great. Oh yeah. I got to tell you my Let best story. This is my this. best story. If Danny, you, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. I, I apologize if I interrupted. Go ahead. Okay. Then I want to hear what you got to say too, because I interrupted you too. But uh, Danny, you guys remember the show Captain Kangaroo? Yep. Yeah. yeah. The kitty show. Yeah. Like, remember that? When yep. I was, that was the first yep. show I fell in love with. I was, I was like four years old. You know, I'd watch it every day before kindergarten. I watch it religiously, Captain Kangaroo. So anyway, we're on the set one day. We, we did the film of 2004 and this was the day Bob Keeshan died. The guy that played Captain Kangaroo, he died. And I was bummed out. You know, Captain Kangaroo, he's my earliest hero. He died. So I'm in makeup there and I was really sad. Tom comes into the makeup room. He goes, Hey, did you hear Captain Kangaroo died? I go, Yeah. And he go, he said how he used to watch it too. We commiserated and all. Then I leave the makeup room. I went outside alone. I was just really sad. So Tom walks out of the makeup room. He comes up to me. I'm looking up in the sun. Tom's, you know, he's a big guy. He's like six two or whatever. He's taller than me. I was looking up to him and I was looking into the sun. And Tom hangs there, if you can imagine that viewpoint. He starts singing me the Tom Terrific song. You know, the Tom, I'm Tom Terrific. And this is my dog, Mighty. He sings me the whole Tom Terrific song from Captain Kangaroo. You know, this is the, he sings me the whole song. I'm sitting there like this is a surreal dream. I couldn't, I was speechless. I'm Tom Terrific. He sang it word for word, verse for verse, all the way to the end. Wow. I, I couldn't say a word. He ends the song. I, I, all I, I just go, you know what? You're a great guy, I said. You're a great guy. I repeat it twice. And he just walked away. He's like this, he's this magical guy. He's, it's impossible to describe the guy unless you actually meet him. There was like, in the movie, you know, he plays, he played six characters. He played Santa Claus. And he was actually in the in the movie, he, when we were on the set, you know, he was actually dressed in a Santa Claus suit. And I go, this is typecasting. You're playing yourself. I go, you're really Santa Claus. I go, you were, you're Santa Claus. You were Santa Claus in a past life. Because <laughs> he's really Santa his joy is making other people happy. He just lives to make other people happy. And that's the best way I can describe Tom Hanks. That's the way he is. So out of all the people you've worked with, who's most favorite uh, person to work with? Those will be the top two. This is, I swear to God, true. My two favorite contemporary movie stars are John Travolta and Tom Hanks. They would be my two favorite to work with, too. They would be the top ones that I remember the most. Can I just tell you one last Tom Hanks, one brief story? Sure. I asked for, on the set, you know, this is Tom Hanks. So I asked, I, asked, I was going to ask him for an autograph picture, and they go, no, look, you got to ask his assistant. So I went to his secretary. I go, can I please get an autograph picture from Tom? So she goes out. Da, da, da. I go, he'll never give it to me. The next day she comes in with the picture for me. It says, to Eddie, 
may we work together a thousand times. Love, Tom. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Yeah. That's Tom Hanks. He's, he's the most beautiful guy. He's just the sweetest guy. Let me think of, I love, you know, here's what I'll tell you. The, the biggest stars I've worked with, like, you know, Steven Spielberg, Matthew Broderick, those guys, Olivia, they've always inevitably been the nicest people, always. The ones that I've worked that were dicks and assholes, you know, that were the real jerks, they were always the small-time bit players, you know. Some of the crew that were just mean, you know, they were always the, you know, the little guys were always the troublesome guys. The ones I didn't get along with or were not fun to be with. The big stars are always fun to be with, professional, they made it fun, everyone person for person. You know, and I've been lucky enough to work with a lot of the great, you know. Yeah, and, and when I meet them, they're, they're always real nice, yeah. So I noticed one today uh, that I hadn't seen before. You worked with Tim mm -hmm. Conway? Yes, he was a wonderful guy, yeah. We worked on the dwarf. I was I didn't get to do comedy much with him. I was more like his straight man. But he would do the dwarf character, you know, the little dwarf character. He would do, he'd, yeah. you know, bend down at the knees and, he, and they put shoes on his knees. So he was dwarf. And I had a little bit part in a movie called The Long Shot with him. He wrote me in a little bit part in that. I didn't do much comedy with him, but he was a really sweet guy. He was so nice. I, I worked with his son, too, Tim Conway Jr., and I was talking about him. I go, your dad is the nicest guy. And he said it, it plays against him. He goes, I go, what do you mean? He goes, people take advantage of him. He goes, he's so nice. You know, people ask him for money and he'll do favors. And people will take advantage of him all the time because he's such a nice guy. So it actually hurt him that he was such a nice guy, which is kind of sad. It's too bad that a nice person had to go through that. But he was just the nicest guy you could imagine. Right. I saw a post that you put out. Describe yourself as a class clown in school. Yeah, definitely. I wear a water faucet on my head. I was always getting in trouble. Even from my early stages in kindergarten. In my early stays in kindergarten i was like five you know four or five years old kindergarten eddie get out in the step they would separate me from the other kids i was always causing trouble like we would do finger pain you know and i remember spreading the pain on my face i just do stupid stupid things <laughs> i don't know i was just a strange kid but they put me out on the steps in kindergarten there were steps outside the, there was a classroom and then about 10 feet there were steps there and they go and i would sit on the steps i'd spend the day sitting on the steps but you know kindergarten i think you're only there till 12 o'clock we were there nine to 12 so i'd sit on the steps pretty much every day in school i would always go to the principal's office i was always in detention you know uh yeah first grade i was in trouble second grade i was in trouble i remember yeah but these poor teachers and i look back on them i wish i could have you know see these teachers now and apologize to them i was such a rotten little kid i so wish i could have them. but you know you can't none of us can change the past you know you can't do it right well we come from the same generation I'm yeah sorry. i i i don't want to interject but you, you and I had a lot in common. I spent most of my kindergarten days in a coat closet. I used to get that right? in, believe it or not, for talking. I never did that. That's kind of cool. That's kind of medieval, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, to this day, I think, oh my gosh, you know, my mom let me go to school daily, and there I sat in the coat closet. Did it scare you? First grade, second grade, it really wasn't much better. So I, I kind of understand where you're coming from there. Oh my, what did you know? Were you a class clown too, or what? Why did they do it to you? I don't know. You know, like I. I... <laughs> Are you serious? You mean they just yeah, did it for the heck of it? Probably. I, I probably said something. I, you know, I did. I don't have that filter. If you were okay, to say, I like Gary Busey, I would say that was the closest to my filter sometimes. So That's interesting. I, I didn't mean to. I meant well. Right. <laughs> But it just didn't turn out well, you know. That's interesting. Well, it's interesting because one one of our other podcasts, uh, uh, I talked about being put in the broom closet when I was in kindergarten. If you guys remember, too. that was just what a, a podcast or two ago or something like yeah, that. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, I think we. It must be the generation Eddie that we grew up in. But yeah, I spent some time. What did you do to, to get put in the broom closet? You know, I wish I could remember. Uh, I, right. I mean. 
my guess is it was my mouth talking and misbehaving. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, is my guess. I I really don't know what could have uh, made them put me in a broom closet. And, right. And not just once, but you know, several times. Oh my oh, god, yeah. no, that, that never happened to me, I swear. I was never put in the closet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good, yeah. It must be a Midwest thing. Yeah, I guess so. Must be. Have you been to the Midwest, Eddie? Is it, we're a different breed here, too. I don't think he caught the question. Oh, it, like, have you been to the Midwest? Have you traveled no, further? I, than... No, I grew up in Maryland. My first 18 years were in Maryland. All my school was in Maryland. That's the East Coast. We, we were talking, yeah. like, Iowa, yeah. Wisconsin. Right. Like, so that was a common Florida. punishment there. Well, I don't know if it was common, but <laughs> it, I, guess it was, I guess it was for I us. Remember so. how, I remember how cool it was to get suspended. They, I was bad once, and then I, I got suspended. I mean, and that meant you had to stay home you couldn't go to school i thought wait a minute this is cool man i'm saying so i was watching tv you know like going outside you know playing ball but i go this is cool i should get suspended more often i go this is you know punishment should make you unhappy but i read suspended is cool i just i had a ball when i was finished i wish i'd been suspended more <laughs> i hated school i didn't like any part of it you know but like i say oh, i look back either. on these i sort of got, i've actually looked up some of the teachers on facebook so i could pm them and apologize <laughs> but I, can't find too, yeah. I feel so <laughs> guilty I feel so guilty. Yeah. Why do you feel guilty? I don't feel guilty. I, I feel like they didn't understand me. If they would have worked <laughs> with me, like I have some great assets, but I just did not do well when it had to sit in one spot for long periods of time and not talk. Right. I was born right. to talk, you know? Well, you know, you may have, you know, that the great geniuses, supposedly that's true of them. They don't do well in school. So maybe you have a very high IQ. Well, you know what? I, I, I went to undergraduate school in aviation and I went to graduate school and okay. it's like I succeeded there because I didn't, I could mm -hmm. do my own, you know, write my own research and do my own thing. I gotcha. it, it came down yeah. to, because I, I, I went to a Catholic school. Did you go to a, a private school or? No, public mine was school. a public school. You're a public school? Yes, public school. Okay, yeah. Well, the, there's a there's a difference because in I, back then in Catholic schools they could do whatever they wanted. I remember being whacked with a cane. And I remember, oh, no. you know, Nicole, I mean, Nicole, I, I've heard horror stories. Yeah, those nuns. I've heard horror stories about them. Yeah. They were brutal. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of different. I mean, that's they're gnarly. Can you imagine if they did that now? Yeah, you're right. There'd be all kinds of stuff. The stuff we did. Well, the first, you know, my first thing I ever got in trouble for was first grade. And nowadays, I don't know what they do. My friend Gary Trauman and I, we pull up girls' dresses. We were in the first grade, and the little girls had dresses, and we pull them up to see their underwear. You know. Now nowadays, God knows what would happen, but you know, then it was just. It, I, I forget what they did to us, but it was nothing like we get nowadays. You know, nowadays you'd be crucified. Right. He's sexist and sexist Absolutely. boys that he programmed. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. We were just they don't find curious humor little boys. Some of this stuff, you know? I said our generation, like I, I'm an extra. I'm very proud of that. But you know, it's like some of the different things I said, we are the last generation of, you know, speaking your mind. The younger yeah. ones, they're so afraid You're of right. offending people. You're right. You're so right. We're so fair. You're absolutely right. They want everybody too scared to take a piss right now. That's that's the goal right. of you know the 1984 government. That's what they want. It's it's an oh, interesting yeah. mind control, yeah. thought control. You're very oh, aware. Absolutely. It's good to see you're aware. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, oh yeah, well, yeah. We're all aware. Speaking of speaking of stage fright, Eddie, why do you have trouble memorizing lines? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. You know what? Seriously, I did in the early days. 
I would do like in the early days, I, I could remember pretty, like I did a film called Mob Boss. If you see that movie, Screen Mob Boss, and you'll see at the end, I make a long speech. I make a speech like the Gettysburg Address. It's real long. And I memorized it. I, I remember I would go in my room, lock the door, and memorize speeches. So, but supposedly, the, the word, I remember I started it kind of in war games. I kept forgetting the words data encryption algorithm in my scene. I kept screwing it up over and over. Data endocrine algorithm, cut. Data endocrine algorithm, cut. Data endocrine algorithm, cut. I oh. And then finally, they, they, the director <laughs> called me at Martin Bress. Marty Bress, he beckoned it. He crooked his finger. He called, Eddie, let's take a walk. So he puts his arm around my shoulder. We go out. He goes, look, you're costing the studio money. We're going to get you idiot cards. And he looked at me. He glared at me. He goes, idiot cards. <laughs> like he's he's almost calling me an idiot. But he goes, Eddie, we're going to get you idiot cards. So, so they printed my lines up on the idiot card, and I did it in one take. Bang. And I was, hey, this is pretty cool. You just read these things off. Now, I pretty much used them. I got into voiceovers, you know, soon after that. And I go, this is cool. It's just reading your line. But I use idiot cards a lot, like the films I did for Fred Olin Ray, you know, Mob Boss and Beverly Hills Vamp. We would put little cue cards. We'd plant them around the set, you know, like Marlon Brando used to do that. And we'd print them, use them around the set, and I'd read off of that. But as far as late as Mob Boss, which is 1990, I did memorize the line. So it was kind of a myth. I remember I did Polar Express, you know, my, you know, we filmed Polar Express. It looks animated, but we filmed the whole thing. It was us moving and saying our lines. But Bob Zemeckis got me cue cards. I had, I think, Bob Hope's cue card holder on that movie, I think. It might be a rumor, but I had a cue card holder and read the whole thing. So we filmed for 10 weeks, and the last day of filming, I'm saying goodbye to Tom Hanks, and he goes, what the fuck? What are you, fucking Marlon Brando? He goes, what are you, fucking me, cue card? He, he was, he was kind of tongue-in-cheek, but my roommate said it showed how smart he was. He waited till the last day to say that. He didn't understand why I needed cue cards, why I couldn't memorize my lines. But I just read mine off to him. You know, it's a piece of cake. Do you think your energy level had something to do with Sorry? that? I, I feel like I, I, I feel your pain there. A little bit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, he, I I don't mean to say it was mean. He he said it. It's right, but he was he was saying it humorously. You know, he, it was jocular. No, but I think the ADHD, like all oh, this, you know what I mean. It kind of takes over and right. It's it's hard. Yeah, but yeah, you're brilliant I don't know at what you do. Sorry, people... I know that Gus wants to ask you something. Oh, no. was... <laughs> so so uh... I got too involved in the conversation. No, it's I all right. <laughs> So, uh, Try to stay out of it. This is men only, Nicole. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's too bad. I gotta find my place yet, Eddie. <laughs> it's, too, it's too bad you can't be on video with I'm us. I'm kind of a transient. I picked up along the way. No, I'd like to see what all you yeah. guys look like, especially Nicole. You sound beautiful on the phone, Nicole. Oh, you're so sweet, Eddie. Thank you. <laughs> so, yeah, well, you know, maybe down the road. You guys uh, leave us alone. Can you guys leave us alone, please? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Poor Gus. I think he probably forgot what he was going to say. I no. saw. I, think he did. <laughs> I, I really did get involved in the conversation. We're going to so have I to rename the show, I, I think. <laughs> so, so let me ask you this: stand-up comedy. Sure. So, I listened to, uh, like I said, I listened to the Gilbert Godfrey uh, podcast that you did, and right. one of the things I noticed is, oh my word we are going to, I'm going to run out of energy just listening to Eddie because talk about high energy. I just think you would, you would just be like the perfect stand-up comedian. But from what I read, you're not uh, fond of being in front of live audiences. No, I don't like live audiences. And also, again, we get back to, I have a hard time memorizing lines. The, the fact that these guys can get up and do a 10 minute set, remembering all that. I, even my first thing, my, my TV debut was the gong show, the old gong show. And even then, I had index cards. Even this was 1976. I was 19. I could not remember my routine, so I, I would. I came out. My I had a sailor hat, and I had index cards. And I'm, I'm not crazy about live audiences. No. Once I'm on, I'm okay. 
once I'm on and it starts going and I'm reading my lines, I'm, I'm, we're in the middle of it, I'm, I can enjoy it. I can enjoy the experience. But it's beforehand I get real nervous. I'm real high strung and I get nervous about live audiences. So that part's hard for me. Whereas I've worked, I've, you know, I've worked with stand-up comics and I've known them. They, you know, to them it's a drug. To them it's the greatest thrill in the world. Right. I want to do a couple sets tonight. You know, they, they love it. It's their fifth. Right. Yeah. I, I'm not sure that I'd be any good at that either. So. Yeah. It takes a certain kind of personality. Yeah. I would. I would. Uh, I mean, my mouth gets me in enough trouble without being on stage. So yeah, I hear you. And back to some of the movies. So I know you've sure. done. I know the big ones that you've done and big actors. But uh, how about some of the B movies? I mean, like I didn't see. That's the majority. I didn't see Laser. <laughs> I didn't see Laser Boy. Is it Laser Boy? Is that the name of it? Laser Blast. Laser Blast. I'm sorry. Okay. Laser Laser. Blast. Now don't see Laser Blast. There's a Mystery Science Theater version of it. What? Get the Mystery Science Theater. You can get it on either YouTube. I think it's available. But get that instead of seeing the film. It's way better than the film. It's hilarious and it's much funnier and it's much more enjoyable than watching the movie. The movie is a low budget sci-fi film. You know, I worked on it three days. I had a crush on our script girl. Her name was Betty Goldberg. Uh, sadly, the, the lead guy's name is Kim Milford. I've had several of my co-stars die of AIDS. He sadly was the first one. He died of AIDS. Uh, on Greece, my crater face, you know, he died of AIDS. And then I did a film called Mob Boss. William Hickey died of AIDS. I, I've had a lot, you know, I've lost a lot to that horrible disease, but he was the first Kim. And um, yeah, we filmed it on location. You know, Greece, Greece was actually, was pretty low budget. If you think. Greece, the budget was, believe it or not, $6 million. You know, $6 million, that, which is rock wow. bottom. You know, nowadays, that's like the price of a commercial. You know, that's nothing. And, you know, Greece made, what, a half a billion or whatever. It's one of the great investments ever. Right. But Greece was pretty big compared to Laser Blast. Laser Blast was super low budget. We were all in, you know, Greece, we at least had our own trailers. We could get dressed in a trailer. Laser Blast, we all got dressed together in one room. We got into wardrobe. It was a huge, big warehouse like and we ate our lunch on crates we ate them on apple box and crates you know we all ate together and we all dressed together it was super low budget how long were you actually on the set at on the uh, on the grease movie let's say grease one grease i was there for about almost two months. two months i started in the middle of june yeah the middle of june of 77 and my last day was august 2nd 77 i'll tell you about my last day my last day on the set was at the carnival scene okay you know, that's my big scene. I get the pie in the face. That's my big scene in the movie. But they wanted to add one more scene. They go, Mr. Carr, Alan Carr, and uh, Joel, and it was uh, Randall, our director, come up to me. Eddie, we want you to, you know, everybody's getting on a ride at the end. Can you do this twirl around ride? What? You know, the ride, they, they strap you in and they spin you around. You know, it's like they spin you around and the thing it goes in circles. You know, one of those horrible, horrible things. I get terrible motion sickness. I go, look, I get bad motion sickness. I'll get real sick. Please don't make me do it. go, please, can you just get on for a while? So we went back and forth. I figure, you know what? They've got me. You know, it's my first film. They, um, I have to do it. It's an obligation. So I get on. Anyway, they strapped me in. So they spun me around and around and on. I get up. I was wobbly and I was shaky. I walked over in the middle of a field. I was all alone and I threw up. This is my last day on Greece. August 2nd, 77. I threw up on my last year. I threw up in the middle of the field. And then I walked to my dressing room. That was Was anybody watching you? Yeah, I'll tell you, you want to know something weird? This is a true story. I swear to God, this is true. Three of my first four films, this is true. I'm the only actor in history. Three of my first four films I threw up in. I threw up right when the film ended, three of the four films. And Greece, I threw up there. <laughs> 1941, okay, I'm on, the, on a Ferris wheel with Murray Hamilton, the whole movie, okay? So you, there's a scene where the Ferris wheel rolls off the pier, you know, and, that, and I'm with my dummy, you know? Stephen was really whipping us around. He was whipping the Ferris wheel around full speed. I mean, we were really flying on that, and I got sick. 
So I asked to be taken down. You know, I go, Stephen, I feel nauseous. He goes, go into my dressing room and lay down. So Stephen's secretary takes me into his dressing room. He puts me in his cot. So I started to feel sick. So I crawled on my hands and legs. I went to his toilet and I threw up. And I go, oh my God, I just threw up in Steven Spielberg's <laughs> toilet. I go, I threw up in Spielberg's toilet. It's the highlight of my career. And the other one is uh, my third film, I Want to Hold Your Hand. This is, I swear to God, true story. The last day of film, it was uh, December 21st, 1977. Bob Zemeckis passed out cigars. I'd never had a cigar in my life. He passed out cigars to celebrate. And I smoked the cigar. <laughs> Little did I know, you're not supposed to inhale cigars. But being an idiot, you know, I, I was inhaling it like a cigarette. I inhaled it. I got nauseous and sick, and I threw up. So three of my first four films, I threw up. Yeah. Oh. Now, most of my films, too, the critics are usually the ones that throw up. No. No, I'm sorry. That's a bad joke. <laughs> wow. oh, wow. You are funny, Eddie. So I got a, I got a question. Speaking of critics, um, I yes, don't sir. even know if uh, this uh, magazine's around anymore, but um, mm -hmm. I was going to ask you about negative press. Uh, National yeah, I didn't, know it. I didn't really know about it uh, until recently. Yeah. Uh, do you have any stories about the National Enquirer? Like, um, what did they get the wrong? Did they, uh, the recent stuff? Are you talking about back when, uh, Mark? Or? Yeah, just any time. Have you been in the National Enquirer article? Uh, you know, I don't know. If it, I, I had a TMZ, a bad run-in with TMZ and all that stuff with my, with my sickness. This is what happened. This is the last oh. three years. I, I was born with a heart murmur. You can put this in if you want, but you're, you guys are so nice. You're welcome to use anything you want. I was born with a heart murmur, okay? And one of my valves came loose. I had a valve, and it was, I, I was starting to feel weird. It was, this was about the end of 2019. I was doing a signing show, and I was starting to feel real weird and woozy. I was getting, like, vertigo. I didn't know what was going on. I was real spinny. And I, I thought I was dying. I was scared out of my wits. I didn't know what was happening. It turns out my valve had come loose from my heart, and it was literally leaking blood into my brain. There was blood leaking into my brain. So I had emergency open-heart wow. surgery in in. January of 2020. Now, but after I had the surgery, I couldn't talk. I couldn't walk. You know, there's people said I died on the table. They actually say I died on the table or they say I should by all rights be dead. I should, you know, by all rights be dead right now. I shouldn't have survived it. But I was really in bad shape. I couldn't eat. You know, my weight was dropping real low, but I couldn't walk. I couldn't talk. I remember how scared I was. They were talking about flying me somewhere on an, an, a helicopter. I remember to get surgery. I remember that. I remember very little about it. But anyway, after I had this surgery, if, if, as if it wasn't hard enough on me, they put me on a regimen of like 20 pills a day. My a girl who I like told me she knew the nurse and she said they put Eddie on this huge regimen of pills of 20 pills a day. Now, I'm like a Christian scientist. I never take any drugs. I don't even take aspirin. This is for like my whole adult life. I never took any drugs. So they're putting me on 20 pills a day. And a lot of these are hard sight drugs, you know, you know, medical drugs that affect your mind. They put me on those a day. And I started doing weird things. You know, I started acting crazy when I got better. Now, after I got out, I, I had a stroke too. That made it even worse. And I, but I started doing crazy things, uh, you know, this is the craziest. I, I went into a restaurant and they wouldn't let me in. They weren't going to let me in. I, I've gone to this waitress. As crazy as it sounds, I'm telling you, these drugs make you act this way. But I got to this waitress and asked her to wear false yeah. eyelashes and give her a $20 tip. And she goes to the press and goes, and she's a pervert. You know, it was so crazy. But this is even crazier. I went into a restaurant and they, they wouldn't let me in. It was a Japanese restaurant. And the police were there. And the police got me. And they were, they were chasing me around the restaurant. And I threw plates at them. I said, this is true. You can't make this stuff up. I was throwing plates at the policemen. Oh, wow. Now, my friend in the hospital said, if they still have that surveillance film, that's got to be one of the greatest restaurant surveillance films of all time. It's got to be classic but i threw <laughs> glass, wow. you know no that is that of course is it's second degree assault 
The bad news is it's second degree assault. So I was facing 10 years in prison for that. So I was put oh. in the hospital. And I had to go to trial and all. But luckily, I had a good um, a public defender. She got me off. But, you know, but I was facing 10 years in prison for that. That's second degree assault. So and if it hit him, it would have been first degree assault. If the place had hit him, I guess I missed them. But I did crazy <laughs> stuff like that. You know, and these, they're, they're funny in retrospect. But believe me, it was very, very hard on me the time in that hospital. It was, I can't tell you how hard it was. I, oh, I yeah, tried. Yeah. But, but you're with these tough guys, you know, I was with these, you know, hardened criminals. The one guy had been in prison for 12 years. He was 12 years in prison. He's in my hospital. These guys beat their wives. They were robbers. They were drug dealers. One guy had been dealing drugs since he was 10 years old. I, you know, it was kind of scary, but I, you know, sadly about, I'd say maybe we were 20 guys. Sadly, 16 of them, I'd say or so, were African-Americans, which is sad commentary, which is which I feel bad about. But it just happened to be that way. It could have been anybody. But, you know, I would play spades. We got yeah. to be friends. We'd play spades. We'd watch TV together. But I would cry a lot, you know, and I'd wait till I got in the shower and I would cry. But anyway, one day I'm in bed alone and I was crying. And the toughest guy comes in my room. He happened to get me at the door and, you know, they call me and he looks in there. And I'm crying. So I wipe my tears away real quick. And he goes, we all cry. And it was real dramatic, a real sweet moment, you know. And then another time I got into a bad fight with the guy. We were playing space and we, you know, it was verbal. We didn't hit each other. But we got into a bad verbal fight. And the head matron was named Miss Stoney. She was a real, she was a tough as nails lady. She was a really nice lady, but she was tough. And we got into a fight. She stopped us and all. And I felt real guilty and all. And, you know, I went to lunch the next day and it was really affecting me. I was real depressed. And that tough guy came up to me again at lunch. He puts his hand on my shoulder. He goes, forget it. Like he patted me on the shoulder. And, you know, he was, he's really a, a nice guy. He goes to show even the toughest veneers. I think there's nice people underneath. I'm of the, of the school of thought. I don't know what you guys believe. I believe we're all basically good. Even the worst of us, you know, we've gone through experiences and there's, you know, a, a whole veneer, but I believe if you cut through and dig deep enough everybody's nice down deep where man is basically good that's definitely my philosophy right oh, you know i agree with that and here's the thing we we uh like i said before you don't get 66 without baggage nobody does yeah this was my first i've done pretty good i, I made it a point you know to be nice to people i'll tell you I, i've never told again i'm telling you something i've never told anybody i got this off you know who i got i saw sammy davis jr in las vegas this is like 30 years ago and i see him on tv and i always noticed this is the most talented guy in the world and i always noticed how gracious he was to anybody he was so gracious and kind and i tried to pattern myself after that i go i'm going to be kind no matter the lowest person i'm going to be nice to him and i tried to always be that way and until my heart stopped and my you know taking those drugs came into it I, I had that kind of a reputation i don't think i really hurt anybody but after the drug thing in my hometown cumberland maryland a lot of people got mad at me you know and, and you know I, I still get a few mean little things on facebook mean little pms you know people have to block it's, it's a small minority it's less than one percent but there's a few people out there who don't like me now which is sad that it had to happen but i'm telling you if any of you took these drugs you would have acted weird too poison your mind oh yeah those drugs are yep there's a whole lot more than oh, a few people God. that hate me so <laughs> me too yep. <laughs> we love you guys yeah. 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 You're one of us, Eddie. We've just yeah. adopted you as one of us. <laughs> Thank you. Well, I love you guys too. You're very good interviewers. I'm telling you, I'm telling you a lot of stuff I've never said in interviews, which is the mark of a good interviewer. Mostly I do these podcasts and I pretty much rehash the same old stories. You know, oh, John Travolta and I, and I was licking the ice cream cone and he came over and said hi. I've told that story like every podcast, but you brought out a lot of stuff I've never said in podcasts. So I think that's the hallmark of a good interviewer. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that um, that's interesting about you, and it really makes you, 
you different? So, I mean, you, you haven't been in a lot of big, big movies, uh, you know, some, but not like a ton. Um, right. But you have that voice that everybody recognizes. So, no, thank you. And I mean, that's a legacy. Uh, and, and sometimes I think people don't realize, or maybe maybe you do, but um, the recognition of your voice is is something that pretty much everybody who's seen any of those movies recognizes without even seeing you. And no, thank you. To me, that's a big thing. Yeah. So um, thank you. Very kind. Yeah. So yeah, I, Stevie and I will be out. Stevie and I will be out. Stevie is so out there, you know. He'll go. He'll talk and he'll go. You know who this guy is? He'll point. You know, you ever see Greece? Ever see the Polar Express, you know, but Stevie says sometimes they'll just hear my voice and they'll go, that voice sounds familiar. They'll say that, and, you know, yep. Stevie's out there. He's not afraid of anything. He, he right. promotes me like crazy out here. And he said a lot of people would just know the voice and they'll say it. And then he'll go, oh, he's the guy in the Polar Express. Or, he's the guy in Dexter's Laboratory, blah, blah, blah. Right. So, uh, Eddie, do you like your voice? Yeah, I like it. I mean, it, it's good for comedy. It's conducive to comedy, you know. Yeah. I got to tell you a great story about it. my voice. Is, it's kind of like people always compare me to Jerry Lewis. I got to tell you the greatest story. I swear to God. This one I heard about a month ago. I had never heard this myself. But one of my Facebook friends used to work with Jerry. He knew Jerry Lewis and he'd work on the Jerry Lewis telethon. And he said one day before the, he worked the lights, you know, he's one of the guys that worked the light. And he said one day before one of the telethons, he said he was backstage with Jerry before Jerry went on stage. And he turns to Jerry, he goes, you know, you've made me laugh more than almost anybody I know, except for Eddie Beeson. And Jerry Lewis goes, you know, you're not the first person who's told me that. You believe that story? I mean, that's what he oh, told me. I mean, awesome. that, that is such yeah, a flattering, funny. yeah, that, that's such an awesome story. Jerry's birthday is in five days. I'm going to print, post that story again, because it meant so much to me. I mean, I, it just floored me. So in you saying this, you're saying so many positive things about other people. What would you say about yourself? And how do you think that you like took this road down, you know, in Hollywood? It's not easy. I've been out there. I've seen like a lot of friends and you know, so it's it's not easy to get in and yeah, it's and get very moving. Tough. So it's the toughest profession in the world. My social yeah. worker when I was in the hospital, her sister, she was telling me, she goes, Eddie, my sister studied with um Who's that guy? Oh, Antonio Banderas. She said he studied, she studied with Antonio Banderas in college or whatever. He went out to Hollywood for 15 years. She said he got, he did, she didn't get one day's work, nothing, not a commercial or nothing. And I said, don't, you know, tell her not to be embarrassed. That's not unusual. It's just, you have to realize it's sheer numbers. It's just that, you know, millions of people flock into there every year. You know, every woman wants to be the new Marilyn Monroe. Every guy wants to be the new Elvis or James Dean, you know, or whatever. And, you know, they come in every year by the, you know, by the truckloads, by the carloads. And, and there's only so many parts, even though there's so many projects being made now, it's still the sheer numbers are overwhelming. So it's very hard, you know? So nobody should feel bad if they don't make it. I, I was lucky. I got the break with Greece. Like I say, if I had never got Greece, let's say I'd never got that and they had written Eugene out. Who knows? I might be a bum in the streets, you know? I might be dead now. Who knows? Life is funny. The course that takes, you know, I, I don't know if you believe in predestination. You make your own faith. I wonder, you know, was this predestined? Is there God? Does God help you? Or is it all just luck? You ask yourself those Forrest Gump questions, you know, why did it happen? It's all about time. Well, you did go pray. Right. So. Timing is part of it. Timing is part of it. And luck. Luck is part of it. And timing is part of it. Seems to be. I, I don't know. My luck has not been very good. I'll have to give me tips on that. You've been trying to make it in Hollywood like for a, a while, you mean? Me or... What's that? You have been trying to make it in Hollywood for a while. Is that what you're saying? No, not me. No, no, no. <laughs> oh, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, no, I I'm went sorry. out there and everybody used to they're like, are you here for the industry? And I was like, uh -huh. what's that? Uh-huh. You know, and they all they all knew. But I worked for Enterprise when I was there. So I it was see. like if you know Enterprise out in California. Okay. And then I was down at the Jaguar and Land Rover dealership. So I got to see a lot of, you know, meet a lot of people. So uh -huh. it's it's different than what people think it is. Okay. I well, Eddie, um I, I don't want to really cut it short, but uh since uh we had to get you on the telephone, I kind of lost uh, I'm losing a little bit of battery on my phone. Yeah, I can hear the beeping. <laughs> 
I'm yeah, sorry so about that because I really enjoyed talking to oh, no. you guys. It was a wonderful no, don't show. Don't worry about. Oh, Eddie, it was so nice talking to you. Right. My pleasure. Yes, My pleasure. pleasure. Right. So we want to thank you, but don't hang up, Eddie, uh, okay. in, until after I'm okay. all done with this, because I want sure. to talk to you real briefly. Sure. Um, plus, plus this platform needs a little bit of time to finish downloading. So okay. uh, with that, I want to thank Eddie Deason for being our guest on Three Famous Guys podcast. And uh, uh, we just want to tell everybody, go ahead and go to www.threefamousguys.com. And uh, uh, if you have a story to tell, we believe everybody's story is important and is is there to help somebody else so go ahead and do that also go to spotify apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, radio and whatever uh, platform you use and hit the follow and the bell so that you can be um, uh, notified of any future podcasts and we have a great guest coming up next week another uh actor has been in over 200 films so you're not going to want to miss that so with that this is gus jim mark and nicole three famous guys and we're out of here see ya bye Thanks for checking out Three Famous Guys. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss a future episode. For more information or to try and uncover more about your mystifying hosts, check them out online at www.3famousguys.com. That's www.3famousguys.com. We'll see you next time.